The opinions expressed on Tomahawk Talk do not reflect that of WVFS Tallahassee. From the highest point on Florida State's campus and the hottest room in Seminole Sports, this is Tomahawk Talk. We are live on 89.7 FM here in Tallahassee and streaming online at wvfs.fsu.edu. I'm your host, Luke Hazen, and on behalf of all of us here at V89 Sports tonight, I want to thank you for tuning in wherever you may be and however you may be listening. On tonight's show, we're going to be trying to recap the ups and downs of the weekend that was for both Florida State softball and baseball, breaking down the second round of the NBA playoffs, and a whole lot more in the world of sports. But first, I am joined, as always, by my co-host tonight, Brett Rutherford. Brett, how you doing, bud? Good. I mean, I guess I'm officially co-host for the summer. <laughs> um, still here, still kicking, uh, and, and doing well. Uh, it's It was good. It was a bloated sports weekend. NBA playoffs, NHL playoffs, postseason in both college baseball and college softball, uh, and like international soccer and a major league season all still going on simultaneously. So I'm a bit burnt out, but it's nice to have this this hour to kind of talk about it. Yeah, we're we're finally hitting that sweet spot where there there is something almost every single night, no matter what sport it is. I know there are, there's only like three baseball games on, but we overcompensate by having two NBA playoff games, a women's college World Series game that we're gonna get into later on. Yeah. But uh, yes, yeah, certainly a great time to be a sports fan. Now, I am also joined tonight by one of our producers, Sebastian Angel Riano. Sebastian, how you doing, bud? I'm doing pretty good. Yeah, it was a it was a quiet weekend for me as well. I didn't do too much. I there was like like Brett said, there was a ton of sports uh, events going on over the weekend, and I somehow managed to pick the worst one to watch on uh, <laughs> on Sunday night. If you can even call that a sporting event, I saw it called a bank robbery um, back on uh, Sunday night. A legalized robbery, right? Legalized robbery, of course. Yeah. Of, of course, we're talking about the the Logan Paul Floyd Mayweather fight. Brett, did you have did you have any any insight into that? Any takeaways from that? No, <laughs> <laughs> you're better. You're better for it, honestly. The, my night peaked when I saw uh, Ocho Cinco uh, fight, and To was there ringside alongside Brandon Marshall. That, that was it. That was like the highlight of my night. I was like, oh hey, I know those dudes. And I was sitting in a Discord call with some friends because uh, we were all watching the fight legally, and um, <laughs> they're like, who are those guys? Because they don't really watch football. I was like, oh man, they're the the coolest guys I've ever seen on a on a football field. They, um, it was like I turned I turned it on for a couple minutes uh, while I was watching the U.S. Mexico game, uh, but well, I don't know. My laptop just died, and I didn't feel like getting up to get the charger, so I just didn't watch like the last four rounds, and I feel like I didn't miss much. So that begs the question: Did the laptop die because it knew what you were watching, or was it just an act of God? I think the uh, legal streaming site that I was using to watch the fight uh, <laughs> oh, was the just draining. Website. Yeah, of course. Uh, it was just draining the battery. Right. Right. Uh, but either way, uh, I, you would still be considered blessed for not watching it. That was <laughs> that was rough. I, I think the 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 dude that was pretending to to play the PS4 over the live stream oh, that I was man, watching I was a little more I entertaining that, some, than, I than the fight did itself. That with the UFC card a few years ago. That that's that's always really funny when you can watch a restream like that before you immediately report it afterwards to the uh, authorities to the FCC. Uh, for be illegally restreaming um, protected broadcasts from Showtime Entertainment, but whatever. Let's let's talk about some actual sports <laughs> right, that and, matter. And also, I want to give a quick shout out to to Scott in the booth running production as always there, as he starts to wave at us right now. Well, guys, I want to start with FSU softball. Let's let's jump right into it here because they are just about to have their first pitch against Alabama later tonight. Um, what an incredible weekend it was for this this women's softball team in, in that heading into it, Brett, we talked about it on, on 
last Monday how they were going to be uh, pivoted against UCLA, number two UCLA, and how it would sort of be an uphill battle from there if they were to lose that game. But funny enough, they do lose that game, and they enter the gauntlet of an elimination bracket, and they somehow have survived up to this point. What has been your main takeaway from this uh, women's softball team as they play for a chance to go to the Women's College World Series final tonight? My first my takeaway from the tournament has been that th- this tournament either needs a new format or they need to be given more days to complete the tournament. Uh, the Men's College World Series is given twice the amount of days for the same amount of games, the same exact format. I know the biggest reason for that is because uh, you, you just can't pitch back-to-back days or multiple games a day for a lot of these uh, baseball teams. Uh, but you look at, with the rain delays, what Florida State has had to deal with, playing until local time, I think, 3 a.m., or close to 3 a.m. Yeah, I know, uh, I know a lot of Oklahoma. us. Right, against Oklahoma State. And I know a lot of us stayed up to watch yeah. that game. It, and, and It was almost 4 a.m. local t- here in Tallahassee. Then they wake up and have to go to COVID testing at 9.30 a.m. the next morning. Oh. They have to drive from the, get on the bus, go to the ho- from the hotel, get to the uh, complex to do COVID testing. They couldn't bring COVID testing to them. Uh, I understand why they can't just say, like, oh, we can't do COVID. Like, they have to do COVID testing. I understand that. Uh, but to then have them play at 3.30 with some of these players are running on little to no sleep, uh, it's ridiculous. If, it's, you're, being, it's if ridiculous. you're being generous, it's four hours of sleep. Because let's say that the process takes, like, two hours to get back to the hotel after you've taken a shower, gotten dressed, done uh, interviews, all, all the obligations that an athlete has after before leaving a before leaving a field. That's that's three, four hours of sleep for these, some of these players. That's ridiculous. Yeah. I, I, th- I think what... what exemplifies the the disparity between men's baseball tournament and, and the women's college world series did you guys know that they don't have showers at the women's college world series site in oklahoma city like in the locker rooms in the locker rooms they do th- that place has been there for less time than the one in omaha and they don't have the, like the basic things needed for an athletic event to take place there Real quick, uh, USF baseball going to their oh, first boy. super regional, taking down the South Alabama Jaguars. Is that their first all time? First ever in program history. That's, my, that's my friend Dylan Besner, number four right there. This is terrible radio, but uh, go Bulls. Going back to softball though, yeah, that's horrible. I mean, it, we it's it, we've seen it now. This is a really bad look for the NCAA going back to March Madness, the women's college basketball tournament uh, in the uh, the, room, the, the lack, lack of thereof. it. Yeah, yeah, um, and. I'm glad we got to we have to talk about it because that's the only way things will get better is if it's if it's brought to light and if it's fixed. Um, but it's still it doesn't it's not an excuse for what's been going on. You I, I really I'm really glad that you brought up March Madness again, because this I'm, I'm it's also great that these women are fine. Like we wouldn't have known about that if we if it hadn't been for that uh, TikTok that I, I I'm I'm sorry I. I feel terrible about this, but I don't remember her name. I don't remember what team she was. It the Oregon, for. the basketball uh, player for Oregon, right? Yeah, Celine, Selena, Sedona. I don't remember her name. Sorry. I think it was Sedona. Uh, but uh, the fact that she was able to speak out and that her message was able to get out to everybody in the way that it did, so that the NCAA finally found the funds. Uh, I'm I'm terribly surprised that they managed to scrape something together between the seats after uh, the large TV contracts that they that they've put together over the past five years. Um, we're finally able to find proper facilities and equipment for uh, the girls at the uh, national uh, women's basketball tournament. Um, now this, this is abhorrent. This is you. You want to you. It, it's not. You want to believe that these issues don't exist because they're terrible to think about, but they very much do, and it's it's a it's awful. Right. Oh, Brett, real quick. Before, because we have to talk about the team and how well they've been playing, <laughs> yeah. I'm going to be the yell at tech guy for real quick. So we, um, some of us stayed up, 
throughout the whole uh, game that was played, uh, I think it ended around 3.30 a.m. Eastern time. Uh, I couldn't watch the first few innings of that because on the ESPN app, after the rain delays, on the ESPN app, you could not stream ESPN, their flagship channel, which is where the game was airing on. I guess because there was no programming scheduled for that time other than like SportsCenter, but I couldn't even pull up a stream of the ESPN website on ESPN.com or the ESPN app, uh, which with a cable subscription that, okay, I'll be honest, my parents pay for, uh, but that it's paid for. (laughs) And we could not uh, get on to watch the game. They fixed it by like the fifth inning. I found a YouTube stream. There was a workaround through the College World Series app. I'm making it like impossible to watch this game. I usually don't yell about this, but I stayed up. I was drinking coffee at 1 a.m. I was drinking coffee at 1 a.m. I want to be able to watch the game that I stayed up to watch. Uh, but ultimately, we got to see those that team led by Kaylee Mudge, who just got on base to lead off the game, uh, who's become my favorite player, uh, and Catherine Sandercock and Sidney Sherrill and Elizabeth Mason uh, fight to win yet another game. And... It's incredible to watch. Right. It's been an incredible tournament for, for all the ladies across all teams. From Everything from James Madison winning the opening game yeah. against number one Oklahoma. Kind of turned, and, you know, unfortunately they, they were beat today by Oklahoma in a, in a mm-hmm. second rematch of, of that series. Um, so Oklahoma advances to the final. But, man, there have been a lot of just crazy outcomes, start, you know, starting with that and, and moving on with uh, Florida State's win against Arizona. Their walk-off come-from-behind victory. The it, it, a lot of that the fact that they're able to win that game four to three and and I think they've they haven't scored more than four runs in a game yet in this tournament. A, a lot of that credit is goes to the way they manufacture runs. Kaylee Mudge being able to get on base, find ways to take second or third or score like she has in big moments. But Catherine Sandercock coming into any game at any moment and keeping Florida State in it has been huge. And I know the story has been Odyssey Alexander, who was great. Montana Fouts, who they're facing right now, who is probably the best in the nation. Uh, Catherine Sandercock has been performing at the same exact level as those athletes. She has been up there as one of the best in the country at this moment, and Florida State is definitely not playing right now if it's not for her. Right, and, and you know, after she got knocked she got knocked around a little bit against UCLA in that first game. The tandem of, of her and Kaylin Arnold in that second game against Arizona, and then Arnold performing last night without uh, Sandercock in there. I mean, you can't say enough about how this pitching staff has rebounded in in spite of the fact that the, the offense really hasn't gotten it all together this postseason. Uh, you know, there have been a lot of runners left on base. I, I would not say it's been a, uh, a top performance by them whatsoever. It is uh, obviously between, d- d- despite the differences between the two sports, base, uh, baseball and softball, like there's stark differences in the way these tournaments go down. With base, college baseball, you get pretty bad defense and pretty bad relief pitching. There's usually one or two good starters on teams that are in the postseason, but after that, it gets really rough. Where college softball, you're seeing some good defense, some good base running, and some really good pitching, and they, the way the games play out are so different. Um, so to see Florida State and the way they manufacture runs, and I hate using that word when talking about baseball, but softball is a completely different sport. Um, being able to take that extra base when you're playing on a, on a smaller field where it's harder to get doubles or triples because the, the walls just aren't as far back, it's easier to make plays. That's been a, a big reason that Florida State has, has gotten to where they are and I think a reason why they have a chance to, to go even further tonight. Yeah, as, as they have a leadoff runner on right now. I, I, to me, the moment that, that everything kind of changed for this softball team against was against Arizona. Their, their back's against the wall. And you get a three-run homer by Danny Morgan. I mean, that that speaks volumes to just how this team over the past couple of years, you know, there, there's history with those players in that stadium being tried and tested uh, 2017, 2018. Of course, 2019, they come up short, but then back again 
in 2021. They beat Oklahoma State, who they knocked, who knocked them off in Tallahassee in the Super Regional. Exactly. So no matter no matter how they're performing, you know that they they know what it takes to win. Especially this group of girls, it's it's been really fun to watch them kind of come back from dig, you know digging themselves in a hole after the loss to UCLA and and be on the brink of reaching a, yet another final. Yeah, and to deal with the crap they had to deal with with the playing times and the rain delays, it's 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 awesome to watch them overcome that. Right, right. And so we can kind of transition from softball where we'll be keeping updates. We'll, we'll, we'll be keeping you guys updated on the softball game right now as they have the first two runners on in the top of the first against Alabama and Montana Fouts, who, you know, r- really quick, I want to touch on her. One single, one walk, yeah. by the way. Yep. Yeah, two, two runners on. I want to touch on her real quick. You know, last night's game against Alabama, they were able to scrap away two runs, um, and they get an outstanding performance from uh, their, their pitching staff shutting out Alabama. What kind of challenges might they face against a, a true alpha? You know, if no one's watched softball, the difference between maybe the, an ace starter and a, and a second-tier starter. I, I think against Fouts tonight, and they've already done it, is when you get the few base runners that you're going to get. She's going to get a lot of strikeouts. She's going to limit the base runners. But when you're in a situation right now like they're in, capitalizing on those base runners, and I'm not just saying, oh, hitting with runners in scoring position. That's such an easy thing to say. <laughs> uh, but with, with a player like Kaylee Mudge, who has done it throughout this tournament, finding ways to score on sack flies, to go first to third, uh, to score on a passed ball. Right now, they've got two on and nobody out. If they don't score here, like just knowing the type of pitcher Montana Fouts is, it's going to be really tough for them in this game. So making the most uh, on the base paths, I think, is really the key here. Right. I, th- I think so often with, with girls like Montana Fouts and, and plenty of other ace pitchers that have come before her at Alabama and, and a ton of other schools, I think they get into they have such a method about them in, in the way that they work on the mound. I think whenever you can spoil that and, you know, see that they're whatever they're going through, whatever method that they're working with isn't panning out the way that they want it to, I think that, that spells frustration on you know, that you can see it on their faces sometimes. So if FSU continues to chip away the way they have in this this first inning with a single and a walk, if they can continue to scrap together you know, base runners like that. I think it bodes well for them, but we'll keep you updated. Still first and second, 0-2 pitch right here from Montana Fouts is oh. hit in a deep left field. No Back at the wall, and it's gone. Oh. A three-run homer for the no Florida State way. women's team. Unbelievable as they take a 3 nothing lead in the first inning against Montana Fouts. That, I believe... Wow, Liz Mason. Liz Mason. Right there. I was trying. Three I was trying to make bomb. out the name there. I want to wow. take a moment to acknowledge Scott going ballistic in the. Scott is in the prod booth. He is going nuts. We had to take a moment to see. Rise I mean, it looked out the off end. the bat, and I had to do a double take. Wow, that was not even close. Wow, three nothing lead. I mean, a three nothing lead at the top of the first. Most dangerous lead. Well, there you go. Exactly. I mean, I, wow. I was talking about manufacturing runs, trying to take the extra base. None of that matters when Liz Mason just cranks a three-run homer. So and that one we'll n- was never in doubt. No, not at all. Wow. Baseball. Oh, let's talk about <laughs> baseball. That'll, so, that'll uh, temper our spirits. Transitioning from what, what purulation on our faces here in the studio right now as FSU women's softball takes a 3 nothing lead over Alabama to the end of the season for FSU baseball. It comes to an end in the Oxford Regional where, I, I don't know, Confusing would be a word I would use to to label this season and the ending to this season really, especially after the, their their opening win in the regional against Southern Miss. You know, come from behind victory. You know, tempers kind of flared in that one, but to blow that game against Ole Miss in the second one 
losing that one and then losing yesterday in a rematch to Southern Miss. Brett, what do you make of this team after after losing in the regional? I'm not disappointed. I mean, it, it is disappointing to go out in the regional with a team like Florida State, but they were three seed and they played like a three seed in this regional. Yeah. Southern Miss, we've seen them hang, hang with Ole Miss. They're forced to game right. It looks like they're going to fall to Ole Miss today in today's elimination game. Um, but they're a good team. I, don't, I, I think I think in college baseball, more so than, than college basketball, just because it's not as nationally watched, uh, there's a lot more mid-majors and low-majors even in college baseball that can go on a run in, in, in the NCAA baseball postseason. Um, in, in Southern Miss is those teams that you think, like, oh, Southern Miss, why are we losing to Southern Miss? They're a good team. They're the 20th-ranked team in the country. Yeah, they're, yeah they're ranked. You, like, they're a really good team. Um, so, I don't know. A lot of people talk about the defense, but that's just college baseball. Like, nobody has good defense in college baseball. Unless you're a national championship caliber team, a top-ten team in the country, Florida State is not that. They were going to have to rely on the home runs, which got them to where they were, um, and some stellar pitching from Parker Messick and probably one other starter, and they just – they didn't get that, and the defense was bad. So I'm not disappointed. I think this team kind of is, you know, what the results they had is kind of the results they deserved. And I think at the end of the day, it's disappointing, but not a shock. And it's there's still a lot to build on going into next season. Right. If I can, I, if, yeah, I can ask, if I can ask something real quick, um, because I, I, out of any of the sports that I've personally had time to watch here at Florida State, baseball I think might be the most of them. It's just a we, we have plenty of opportunities here, fortunately, at the radio station to, to go and attend uh, baseball games as members of the press. So I've watched my fair share of Nader Deseda. And uh, av- one, one moment that stands out particularly in this year's postseason run is his, his error to first in the... Um, You're talking about Nader Deseda? Yes, yeah. Nader Deseda. Yeah. Uh, on, his, on his throw to uh, first in the seventh... The eighth. It was at the tail end of the old Miss game, and it's where or the. It's I think the it was in the Miss eighth game. inning. Yeah. Um, and the game, the game is lost on that play. Really. Um, is there? I, I hate to sound harsh, but is there a plan to help him improve? Or, because I believe he was a sophomore last year, so is he a junior? Or he's, is, he's listed as a redshirt sophomore because nobody really lost eligibility last year. Yeah. So. Um, are the, like what will be his situation because he hasn't been hitting particularly well this year. Um, he's not very good on either side of the ball. Then, like, what is what, what's going to you know come about with him? Do do we know? Do we have like any? I, I think Nander's fine. I don't know. I, and, and and this is probably a bit controversial. The throws are bad. He still has great range, probably better than anyone else on this team. The error count for shortstops is always going to be high just because they get a lot of balls hit to yeah. them and they usually have the range to get in a position to make an error. The bat, I mean, yeah, again, it's a shortstop. Like, he doesn't have to hit great to be a valuable piece in the lineup. Um, yeah, the throw's got to get better, but still at the end of the day, like, if not him, then who? Like, who's going to play shortstop? Like, no, he, he's I'm still asking, the, better, yes. the best option, I think. Right, right. And, and, you know, Nander's going to get killed because of that throw that eventually costs them a game again, so missing. You know, if they win that game, they're they're... 2-0 in the regional and, and have the upper hand over every other team in that regional. Yeah. But at the same time, everyone was making errors this weekend and throughout the entire season. It was a team-mandated sort of thing that they that they were going to make more errors than than normal. Um, I don't know. You know, five of their first six r- runs given up in this regional came unearned. Unearned. So, I, at the, you know, I get why Nader is going to get killed and his defense does need to improve, but so does the entire team. And as for the bat... The, the entire team strikes out way too much for, for us to be killing Nander DeSantis alone, right, Brett? 
Yeah, the, the the swing and miss has been an issue. Uh, it's it's not an issue when it's just a guy like Elijah Cabell who's going to make up for it with the power. Uh, but when it's happening one through nine, yeah, that that's an issue you can't have. You've got some good bat-to-ball guys. Tyler Martin probably being one of the best bat-to-ball guys in the country. Um, sprinkle in a couple more guys like that. Mix it in with the big power guys, even though uh, Cabell and Nelson are probably gone after this year. Uh, and that's a more of a winning recipe offensively. But... They, the bat, yeah, the bats are still good enough this year. We're good enough to, to make it through. Um, yeah, they, sh- they just got cold at the wrong time, and that's kind of the the trick, the fickleness of of, baseball. of college baseball. <laughs> that, that, that's what's crazy to me and what's confusing to me about how this season ends and how this season was – you know, they end the season, I want to say, 31-24. and 24. I, I think I have that record right. It was sort of just a, a middling overall season for the offense despite some really, really outstanding – individual seasons you have guys like Matthew Nelson, Tyler Martin, Elijah Cabell, Robbie Martin. Like they they put up really really good numbers individually, but as a collective, you know, it just wasn't there for so much of the season. And again, I go back to the strikeouts. I think whenever you're striking out at the clip that they are, it doesn't bode well for for long-term success and and putting together a really really strong squad. Yeah, um Elijah Cabell, 78 strikeouts, 31 walks. It's not great, but I've always talked about how much his power makes up for it. He had 15 home runs um, and only 159 at-bats because he was benched for some parts of the season uh, for whatever reason. Um, but, uh, yeah, I think I think focusing on bat-to-ball guys, guys that are more similar to, to uh, Tyler Martin than they are to Elijah Cabell because you're not going to get guys with as much pop as, as Cabell. Uh, that, that You really got to get lucky there <laughs> um, like they did with Cabell. But, I don't know. I'm just not really worried about the future of this team. I, I think this year they kind of got to where they we maybe we expect them to be. 100%. But but for, for FSU fans out there, they're accustomed to a, more of a winning culture than the one they experienced. I, I get that FSU baseball kind of reached their expect not expectations, but they kind of maximized what they were going to get out of this season, the way that they were performing. But should that be the standard at FSU? That's no. what I'm asking. No, no. no. And I think, I think this staff which, just like Mike Norvell's staff, was kind of brought in, and, and then their full, first full year, uh, they had a COVID-shortened season. Um, recruiting has been a, a crapshoot, and they've still done a good job if they can get some of these kids to campus, the biggest one being Edwin Arroyo, the, the shortstop in that class, who is also a left-handed pitcher. Uh, so if you talk about f- few potential Nander DeSantis replacements, we've got a right-handed shortstop that comes in and is also a left-handed pitcher. That could be an option. I don't expect him to make it to campus. I won't um, keep my fingers crossed. <laughs> But, I mean, they got Carson Montgomery to campus. But that's the name I'm talking about right now, Carson Montgomery. You pair him with Parker Messick. Uh, I think that could be a recipe for success next year uh, to where the bats don't carry you. You look at, like, some other teams that that are some of the best in the country. Like, you don't need to have the stacked lineups. You need to pitch. You need to have some good relievers, which I think Florida State did this year. That might be a word going into next year. They're uh, losing Chase Haney. Uh, I, they might be losing Jonas Scalara, who are two of their more consistent relievers. Uh, but that's the name of the game. Pitch well and play as good a defense as you can, and you can go far in, in June and July. But, yeah, I don't know. I'm just not worried. I'm not worried about this team. Sebastian, are you are you worried about the, the long-term, uh, you know, no, outlook no, of this team no. with, with uh, me at the head? You know, here at uh, B89, I've learned something that I think has helped my, you know, temperament with Florida State athletics across all sports, and that's when there is a transition period, uh, transitional period. Um, and any sport, you have to give the the succeeding coach a little bit of time. 
You have to be patient. Uh, it's not just like a, okay, we've given you one year. What have you done for me? I, I know sports fans are, what have you done for me lately type people. But you, you've got to give um, time to, to any program. Uh, the, the COVID condition, you know, I think amplifies that more than anything. Um, Midnight Madness last week, remember, um, mm -hmm. when we were all here and we were eagerly waiting every, the, the recruiting phase to yeah. begin again and for uh, kids to come to campus. Um, that is, that is you got to remember, that's, that's Norvell's kind of true day one, in a sense. Yeah. Um, that is his real day one. And um, same thing can be said about Meat or Mike Martin Jr. You got to let him, give him time to, to build his own little sandcastle before you come crashing down on um, the expectations of uh, where's our 41 season? We've got 44 of those. Where, where where's the next one? I want it now. Like you can't be like that. Yeah, um, it, it it's a it's a class A example of, of suffering from success. <laughs> you know, you it really is. You 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 establish a culture that that is one for so long under Mike Martin that when Mike Martin Jr. comes in, you have no choice but to to uphold those same standards. And I think I. I get the people. I get why people are bashing. Like they're going to go after the coach first and foremost. It's it, you know these are this is collegiate athletics. You don't want to kill the kids for, <laughs> you know I say kids uh, like I'm anything different. But you don't want to put all the blame on them. So you look to Mike Martin Jr. as the guy to kind of pin the 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 shortcomings of this program on. But at the same time, Mike Martin Jr. Behind the scenes has been responsible for a lot of what Florida State, Florida State success that they have had these last couple of years. So I, I don't want to, I, I want to give him more time, but something's got to change because for whatever reason there's talent on this team and it just did not click the way that I think a lot of fans did this year. The, Mike Metcalf with Mike Martin Jr. have put together some really good recruiting classes, and I think we saw that they brought in Carson Montgomery, who has some electric stuff, and they played it safe with him as a, as a freshman as they should. And there are more players, maybe not to that caliber, uh, that are going to make it to campus with with this current coaching staff. Yeah, if next year they go thirty-one and twenty-four, the equivalent of that over a longer season, uh, yeah, maybe there's some question marks to be had. But now, I I, I don't know. It, it's such like college base, like Mike Martin showed. Like it's such a you could be the, be the best in the country and get knocked out right away, and it, it's just tough. You, you want to see more success in the regular season, do better in the ACC. Uh, but with it still being such a weird year, there was a COVID pause earlier this season, uh, weird schedule. I think I think next year is when you can really start to criticize them if things go wrong. Yeah. yeah. And even then, like uh, I the one term that's thrown around in baseball, uh, especially at the professional level, a lot nowadays is uh, the three true outcomes, right? Um, that style of ball is very popular at the top where – strikeouts happen all the time uh, the long balls happen all the time it's impossible to really uh, get a feel for um, what an at-bat is going to be like except for the fact that you know it's going to be one lap around um, the bases and that's kind of it uh, I saw a lot of that from this team this year where it felt like they okay whoever's at bat they're either going to strike out they're going to go yard or they um, are going to be walked and um I don't know. On one hand, it feels like the team's being prepared for what is the future. On the other hand, I mean, you would like to see, you know, better better fielding on both sides of the ball, if that makes sense. No, absolutely, absolutely. And those are the things that stand, when when whenever a team is soppy in the field and, and making errors like that, the the 
the first thing you you kind of point to, well, other than the fact that you're you know there's terrible fielding going on, is like what are they being coached behind the scenes, right? And, but at the same time, I do feel like there there is a a, a mandate and a a plan in place that Meade is trying to to coordinate. I, I just don't know if he has the players right now to kind of you know go out and and execute that sort of plan. I but again, it's you know we're talking baseball. It's one of the most back and forth games. You could be hot one day and and cold the next. It, it's tough, right? Out of all the sports, baseball makes at least sense. It's funny people <laughs> people have the most amount of data about baseball more than any other sport. We like um, cataloging every single metric we possibly can. But at the end of the day, this this sport makes no goddamn sense. And so I think I think it's important then to like focus on the things that aren't streaky. Like hitting is so streaky which is pitching and defense. Those are the most consistent things in baseball. If you can get those, if you can recruit to those needs, you can set up for, for success, especially at the college level. So as we wrap up our, our baseball talk and kind of the first half of, of the show, Brett, what to you would you know, what sort of improvement next year by the FSU baseball would mark a success for this program? Finding the, the next set of relievers that you can count on for a large chunk of innings. You look at when these pitching staffs get blown out late in series on Saturdays and Sunday, and then into the postseason, uh, you get these really lopsided scores. Find guys that can keep it close, uh, and 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 the the guys like Jonas Calaro and Chase King, and I've said their names so many times this season because they've been so reliable. And so whoever that is, if it's going to be Davis Hare or if it's going to be Jack Anderson, if you can count on those guys for large chunks of innings, I think you can continue to build on the success of this year because there was some success. Um, uh, if not, then you could be in for another bumpy year where you're boom or bust by the, with, based on whether or not you've hit two or three home runs every game. Yeah, Sebastian, what what in your opinion would mark a, a successful next season so, for this FSU team? Unfortunately, I feel like I'm flying straight into the face of uh, what Brett was saying, where it's like you want to focus on pitching and defense. Uh, but for me, it's just if we can get through uh, in terms of a, a batting order, fourth or let's let's say five through seven. Without me just groaning, it's like, oh man, I could just we can just kiss this in and goodbye. Honestly, um, that for me would be a bigger success for me personally. Just just kind of feeling some sort of enthusiasm of, oh well, after our uh, after the Knowles' first three guys, the rotation is hopeless. That's what I really want to see. Um, so I guess I'd, I'd like to see less of the three true outcome, uh, or the the three big outcomes. You know? Yeah, absolutely. The, the, and I I do think. Strikeouts uh, with a full off season now, they don't have to worry about a COVID shortened season. Hopefully next next year, I think there's going to be you know how do I put this <laughs> in a way more continuity when 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 Meets trying to coach up his players and I think the strikeouts it, you look at that I think that's a stat that could flip the other way absolutely if if they're given a full off season to work on those mistakes and you know. If they cut down their strikeout number by at least like half, who knows what could happen with this team if they continue to recruit pitching as well? Yeah, yeah, and that's a big ask. But I mean, I think, I think, yeah, I think they're still headed in the right trajectory with recruiting. We we saw some of the freshmen they brought in this year, uh, replacing Cabell and Nelson. Assuming both of those guys are gone is going to be tough, and maybe Robbie Martin as well. Um, but we've seen them capable of doing it. And so, uh, yeah, I think I think just patience is the, is the, is the key here. Right, absolutely. And we're going to ask you guys to be patient with us as we take a break. <laughs> this has been the first half of Tomahawk Talk here on WVFS Tallahassee, the voice of Florida State. Joining me is Brett and Sebastian, both for the second half. We just got done wrapping up some 
uh, FSU baseball talk, recapping their season as it comes to a halt and ends in Oxford against Southern Miss. A little update on FSU softball. It's the top of the second. They are still up 3 nothing after the huge home run in the top of the first. And there has not been an out recorded in the second inning, and Montana Fouts has thrown 41 pitches now. Jeez, that's a workload. Runners on first and third and nobody out as Florida State continues to put the pressure. If there's a scoring change, we'll update you. You'll probably hear us talking. To <laughs> <laughs> react to it live. React to it live on air here. But uh, I want to transition to some NBA playoff talk. So we had a huge Game 7 yesterday in L.A. as the Clippers played the Mavericks. And the Clippers get the best of the Mavericks, 126-111. It seemed like the Clippers, for most of the second half, had about a 10-point lead. It never really got closer than that, save for maybe a Luka 3 or 2 that cut it to 7. Mm-hmm. Uh, Luka Doncic ends the game with 46 points. I believe the stat, he has scored over 40 points in 5 of his first, I want to say, 11 playoff games, 12 playoff games. He he has been unstoppable, but his team is not Brett. I, it's frustrating to watch as a basketball fan this supremely talented player. We've seen it happen before where he just seems to have no help whatsoever on, on a surface-level evaluation of the team. The Mavericks just don't seem to have a second player that Luka can kind of rely on to, to help him get over the first round of the playoffs. Uh, what, what's your takeaway from this Mavs team? It's it, it's so, confusing to watch. So I actually want oh, yes, to start here because um, I'm glad we started here because let, let's be honest, this is – the way we talk about this Mavs team is in hindsight because Porzingis was supposed to be that, okay, well, this is well this is um, his co-star. This is his co-star, and this is how they're going to move into the proceed to the second round or the next step of developing a championship-winning basketball team. What ended up happening is is that you probably, in order to make that move, you probably gave away the big, the most important asset that, once again, in hindsight, could have helped uh, Luka Doncic in his uh, postseason campaign, which I personally believe is Seth Curry. Uh, Seth, let's not really? forget. Let's not forget. Seth Curry was was on Dallas and uh, was part of the package that was sent, um, or was part of the. Um, I think it was a three way trade, right between the uh, Nick, the, Knicks, the Knicks, the Sixers, and, and Mavericks. Uh, yeah, and the Mavericks. Um, he was part of that package that that got uh, Porzingis into um, in Dallas. Um, what do you what do you need? What is what does Doncic need the most? I think it's shooters. I, I think he needs I need I think he needs opportunities at on other parts of the on other parts of the court in order to to generate production for the rest of the team. Um, Seth Curry has proven that he can be that for his entire career. He's one of the he's a great great shooter. Um, at times, he's comparable to his brother. Like equal to his brother that's a that's a very that's hot a bit take. sacrilegious that, that's a bit sac- it's a bit sacrilegious but there are there are points where those two have gone both below yes specifically shooting when we're talking about steph curry we're obviously talking about uh you know we're obviously talking about the greatest shooter of all time and to compare to have someone who is let's be honest if you if you don't follow the nba that much seth curry is is kind of an unknown right it's like oh don't you mean the, the other guy you know uh, my point is is that um the move that uh, the Mavs made to give uh, Doncic a co-star uh, didn't pan out at any point, really. They aren't considered friends. That's okay. You can win games without having friends on the team. You just have to be cohesive on the court. But they never were that, even. They were never cohesive on the court. What's up? Yeah, I just want to give an update for everyone listening out there. Florida State has now taken a 4 nothing lead over Alabama as a runner reaches on first, scores the runner from third. 
There's a mound meeting now for Montana Fouts. Brett, she looks rattled, to say the least. She's also probably exhausted. You know, it's late <laughs> in the tournament, and I know, like, softball, pitchers and softball can, you know, the workloads are completely different than that of baseball. Um, but, yeah, she's, she's still going to be physically exhausting to go through this tournament, to go through the rain delays, to get to this point. So, uh, I'm not, I mean, I'm still shocked, but it's, it's, it's explainable. You know, it's understandable. And Florida State's capitalizing on it. And if they can get keep Alabama off the base paths and off the scoreboard, I mean, this could be an easy victory. I, I don't want to speak too soon. It's only the top of the second. Someone find some wood. Someone find some wood. I'm right. Um, <laughs> it, regardless, yeah. I, I want to wrap up real quick um, with uh, the the Clippers-Mavs talk. Um, one thing that you can't disregard, you if you're going to give um, Doncic props for absolutely taking over games one and two, you have to give props to um, Kawhi Leonard taking over games six and seven. Uh, and five, you can honestly make the case. Um, finally, he, he it's it's he, he comes and goes with the tides. Honestly, um, not really that much of a factor um, in the bubble, but in this series, um, he showed his uh, expertise, he showed his experience, he showed how how good of a basketball player he was. Um, far and away, the best player in LA this postseason, bar none. Little shot at LeBron there. Maybe, maybe. I mean, there is only one L.A. team in the postseason right now going on the second round, and uh, it ain't the Lakers. It ain't the Lakers. Well, well real quick, I want to give a shout-out to, to Steve Ballmer, too, for, for kind of building this Clippers team. You saw, I think, midway through the game where the Clippers' depth and the way that this roster has been constructed sort of just took over. The Ma- I mean, the Mavs bench, you get a total of six points off of the bench compared to the Clippers, who are bringing guys like Luke Kennard off and... More more importantly, Terrence Mann off the yeah. court. He, I mean, he's a plus 14 in the 26 minutes that he played. He scores 13, Terrence Mann does. Brett, this Clippers team moving forward against the Jazz, what are, what are your odds that they could pull off an upset? It's hard for me to call it an upset. Um, in terms of the seeding, it is. Um, but we've seen what this Clippers team can do when they play defensively. This Jazz team is a lot deeper. And this Dallas team, I think that was Dallas's biggest issue. They were really running a five-man rotation. They played Marjanovic for 31 minutes. He's just not that caliber of player. With that being said, I don't think Dallas needs to burn it all down. I think, you know, look, they made it to Game 7 against a really good Clippers team. They're right there. And I, th- I hate this. Uh, they lost yesterday, and so many, like, respected people in like that cover the NBA are like, oh, it was like this doomsday scenario for the Dallas Mavericks that just lost Game 7 against a Clippers team that was built to win NBA championships. Like, that's not anything to sneeze at. Going back to the Clippers, though, um, they're they're going to face a much deeper Utah team. And so we're going to need to see them at their best. With Donovan Mitchell rounding into form, that's exactly. a huge, huge piece to get back. The, the, the games that they played their best, which there were a couple of, and maybe Game 7, I think you could throw into that. They played really well. You know, like they, they shut down a lot of all of the, the uh, Mavericks, except for Luka. They're going to need to bring that for seven games. Like it's going to take the. It's going to Utah will grind against them, uh, and I don't think it's possible. But I definitely think it'll go six or seven. So um, I'm glad you mentioned that um, the Clippers are a team built to win championships. But I want to make uh, make it clear that they're also a team built to win championships right now. Um, at the at, in game three, it was incredibly dire for uh, the Clippers. You know they were. Uh, as the internet does, uh, the internet dogpiled on them as they did last year. I'm not. I'm not trying to be a Clippers defender either. Oh no, it's super uh, fun to make fun of the Clippers. It, it is. It's really fun to make fun of the Clippers. Uh, but this team, it. I mean, uh, it would. P- 
PG and Coin Leonard were both on uh, two-year contracts. Those are up after this year. Mm-hmm. If if they if they flamed out of the first round, those two were gone. Absolutely. And you have nothing. You have no things to build off of if you are the Clippers because you, you sent all your uh, first-round picks to uh, OKC to get uh, Paul George. Uh, you are basically in a waiting room until 2023 or 2024 um, to get uh, picks once again. Those picks were unprotected, by the way. Um, so you, you had nothing. Uh, now, I want to also give mad props to Terrence Mann because Terrence Mann uh, is, for me, uh, it's not just him showing up in the playoffs. Because he's shown up every single day, he's he's been on that court. He's, he's steadily improved he's, his, you know, his two years in the league. He has gotten better and yep. better and better. It's the it, an amazing level of maturity for for a, a guy so young into his uh, NBA career. Uh, now the Mavs, very like I said before, the Mavs are at like a different point in their you know build into a championship team, right? They're still kind of at that that we need to get past the the wall that is the first round. Once we push back into and push into the first round, uh, then we you can you are a team kind of like Atlanta right now, which is um, very much at that expectation of okay, well we're very clearly past that stage in this roster's you know lifespan, uh, where the expectation is long longer to just get to the playoffs. The expectation is to win in the playoffs. I think the Mavs are kind of at that point where it's like you want to push ideally past the first round but you still need one at least one more component I, before I, you can push I, I, I don't know if they if they need another superstar they need Porzingis to play like a superstar well they don't even need like look how close they were and then look how they performed in game seven it wasn't the fact like Porzingis yeah could have played better he was still six for 12 from the field uh, still had 16 points and 11 rebounds it's hard to rack up a ton of points when you've got Luca scoring 46 and assisting 14 but they they need and you look at some of the other teams that finished atop the West and that's Phoenix and that's Utah, Utah. and that's Denver, uh, their benches were just incredible. Like I, the, the I'm depth, not saying I never said that you need a star. You need components though. Yeah, you need you need role players that actually you know play a role, and aren't just irrelevant and go 118 from the field. It's like as the, a collective. If they Maxi Kleber had like he they, the, the Mavericks needed it to come in have like one or two games in this series or at least one where he scored like 20 points like to go to, to add that boost when Luca is off the off the court for the few minutes that he was off the court uh, and they just didn't have that and it's like that's a lot easier to to get than like some of these other franchises where you're like yeah they you really don't see change. a way out like yeah like th- this Mavericks team has been so close to going deep and it's just like this mentality of like boom or bust in the NBA that people are gonna say like Dallas didn't have a successful season and they were they were right there. They like, they were really hot down the stretch. They end up getting the five seed. I, I, yeah, I don't want to dog the Mavs too much because that Clippers team shot the lights out more than they like. You heard Tyron Lue before the game, the entire series preach. We're gonna have one of those games where we just catch fire from from beyond the arc. It's gonna happen, and you see it happen in Game Seven. They clearly just take over shooting wise. They've just run into the Clippers these last two years. It's like yeah. okay, so what can they do to instead of winning forty two games out of a, a seventy two game season? Okay, how can they win, you know, 50 games in an 80-game season? You know, how can they get to that, that home whole court where this year the standings in the West were really weird with the way the regular season kind of panned out to where you're not playing the Clippers early on. Maybe you're playing a team like Sacramento that just snuck in, or maybe you're playing a, t- a team that you, you can you can be more comfortable getting past the first round, and then you have that prove-yourself series where you're playing – uh, next year, I'm, I'm assuming the Lakers are going to be back up there. The Clippers are going to be back up there. The Suns and the Jazz are going to be back up there. Then you can prove yourself against one of those teams uh, to 
vault yourself into the conference finals and give Luca a chance to win it all. Uh, but like Luca's still so young. Like this is twenty two. Like, yeah, like, twenty two. Yeah. Like this idea all over Twitter. It's like, oh, Luca needs to leave Dallas. He's never gonna. Ha-. It's like that's they were so weird. close. Like. Uh, I don't know. It's just the mentality, his boomer bust mentality to where either you won the championship or you're like on the verge of needing to blow it all up uh, in the NBA. And it's just not the case with the Mavericks. Well, well, going from a team that is kind of stymied in, in trying to get past the first round to a team that has gone past the first round and got the first win in the Eastern semifinal game yesterday, the Atlanta Hawks, 128-124 over the one-seeded 76ers, Sebastian. Are you are you feeling Trey Young right now? Are you are you a Trey Young stand? Uh, I I I first of all, Trey was absolutely thrilling in the last season. I mean, uh, last series. Sorry, um, playing the villain against the Knicks. Playing the villain, but like what a what a villain, you know? Um, is just one of those villains where where he's not really a villain because he's doing something necessarily evil. He's not playing a bad guy. He's just playing the 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 heel to an an underdog who is very looking for, he's looking forward to squish even though. You know, Knicks were the higher seed. That the the biggest takeaway for me for that Knicks series is that this was kind of the all right, you know, uh, something that you would hear in years prior uh, concerning Trey Young is that he his his numbers, which were high at times, you know, dropping thirty five point games, they're empty, and the like, they're empty. I mean, do you really want to talk about empty points when he's dropping thirty five in the Garden? Of all places, you know, the in the holiest of holies in basketball, you uh, put on some of the best performances that have graced that building in decades. Right. Um, <clears throat> that is an arrival. That is what, uh, you know, Trey Young is, the. F- I think you could say, the first out of the uh, young stars to really ascend to that superstardom uh, cuff that has been, you know, the Dames, the LeBrons, the, the Stephs of this generation of play. Um, I think he. I think if he can continue it, uh, realistically, it, it, you know, um, Joel Embiid is day to day. This past game just proved how important Joel Embiid is to the Sixers. Uh, even if it is just a difference of four points, would it have been four points if Joel Embiid was on that court? Right. I. I think one. One point I made when we previewed the 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 quarterfinal series games, I just didn't know who the Knicks late in games we're going to give the ball to. I knew that the Hawks were going to have Trey Young. And you get to a series like this, it's the same sort of story, Brett, where I don't know late in games for the 76ers, once they got back in the game, I don't know who to trust with the ball in their hands compared to the Hawks who have Trey Young. If if the Sixers allow the Hawks to get out to early leads, they're going to be in trouble in this series. They're already down one nothing. Uh, I, I think I think they'll still go on to win. But you're right. They don't have that that closer, uh, which I think is a real thing in basketball. Like a guy like Trey Young, um, but they, you know, the Hawks also have Kevin Herter, who came up with some really big shots in the game. Uh, John Collins, uh, Bogdanovich, like Capella, Capella hit a couple. Right. Like I, I think this, the the Hawks have the size to contend. I think with with Capella and the other guys coming off the bench. I think that they have the means to to beat the 76ers. The Sixers are a more complete team though. Like one hundred percent. So if it, like they got blown out of the water in the first quarter, I don't think that's going to happen every game. And if the Sixers can control the game going into the fourth quarter with that lead, they're going to be able to shut down Atlanta. But when they're needing to come from behind, and all of a sudden, like, oh wait, Tobias Harris just put up a three. Trey Young goes on the other end. He knocks one down. It's like, oh well, now now what do we do? You're right. They, if I, I still think the, the the 76ers are the better team, but if they lose another game like this, the Hawks are good enough to steal this series, uh, which would make it really easy, I think, for the winner of the uh, other series in the <laughs> East, the Nets or the Bucks, whoever wins that. Um, but I, right now, if you if anyone uh, is a 
uh, a betting person, uh, you can get the 76ers to win this series at minus 130 still. Uh, uh, going down a game, I think... I think I think I, I think I would like those odds if I was a betting man. Um, I, I I still think they'll they'll win this in six or seven. Right. I I, I still I still think the Seventy Sixers are the team to beat in this series just because of the way that you know we talked about the Mavericks and how they don't have a bench. Seventy Sixers are are built from top to bottom to win the East to win an NBA championship. I think the Hawks are still a step away, maybe a piece or two away. I, Sebastian, I would agree. I, I don't know about. A step or a, a piece away. I think that team is complete. I just think that team needs a little more time, especially at these points of the of the postseason. You know, your conference semifinals, your conference finals, uh, where these are the games that are they're they're different. They really are just different in terms of the intent, not necessarily the intensity, but just being there, the mentally being present for those types of games. Um, if there's anybody from that you know, collective of young players that are getting ready to take the next step of to into superstardom. Not just super max contracts, but superstardom and what that entails. Uh, showing up every single night. Uh, I think Trey Young is the one uh, the one player that's best positioned to do that. Uh, just because of the environments that he's that he was just put in for the past five games. Whereas he he played three in the garden and he was lights out in every single one at uh, at Madison Square Garden. Every single one. Philly's not an easy place to play. Um, the uh, the crowds are loud. Uh, you know, in football they throw stuff at you. In in basketball, in basketball they'll throw they'll po- throw popcorn at you. They throw oh, it at Westbrook. They'll throw popcorn at you too. Um, and completely and totally unfazed. Uh, he's got you know this man is cold blooded. One hundred percent cold blooded. So if there's anybody who can't take that next step, I think it's Trey Young. So. Who knows? Maybe maybe he, you know, it, it takes a couple years for, for players to kind of build up that. It's almost like a boulder, you know, to push that boulder uh, down the hill until you can break through the wall that is, you know, the conference finals and into a championship. He's broken through the first round, so we it, just have to yeah. wait and we'll, see now. We'll see how long it'll yeah. take him. It might, it might, he might do it all in one year. It depends. If he kept, it's very difficult to play in the way that he did in that first quarter um, over the course of, you know, an entire series. If, anybody, if there's anybody who's proven that they can do it, Maybe it's maybe it's Trey Young this year. Who knows? Yeah. Who knows? It would be it would be I would be stunned for them to to actually climb the mountain that is Philly. Um, but I honestly am just thrilled that this series is this series might be good mm-hmm. might, uh, because it's going to be know, a good series. The, the series it wasn't the, supposed to it, be the series that everyone yeah, was exactly. looking at. It, it, it wasn't the series that you were going to watch if you had to pick between either one of the two conference semifinals. And yeah, we can get into the the other series right now. Game two tonight. Uh, Actually, they might be tipping off. Yeah, they tipped off at 7.30, just about. Uh, Bucks-Nets. Nets take game one, 115-107, kind of comfortably. The only problem is James Harden exits the game in the very first minute after his first drive of the game with a left hamstring strain. Brett, we've been on the show. I've said numerous times if one of the big three that they have, Durant, Kyrie, Harden, if one of them were to go out, the person I want the least to go out is James Harden. I think he's an integral part of that lineup that that Brooklyn throws out there. Are you worried at all about the Nets now that they, the, it's clear Harden's not going to play in game two and maybe longer into the series? I'm not worried because they've got the one. I'm not worried about them because they've got the one nothing lead. If they win tonight, I think it's series over. Like, I think, yeah. okay, if they just beat Milwaukee without Harden, say, I'm assuming they get Harden back right. at some point this series when they've already got two games in the bag. Yeah, game set and match. If Milwaukee wins tonight, uh, these are very uh, obvious things that I'm saying here. Uh, it's series back on. 
Um, but with Harden at full strength, I don't think there. I really don't think there's anyone in the league that can stop this Nets team. But tonight, I'm kind of just keeping a close eye on it because if 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 KD and Kyrie can take their game up to that next notch that they're going to need to to play and then overcome the type of basketball that the likes of Milwaukee with Giannis and Brook Lopez and Chris Middleton like to play, uh, yeah, it's game set match. I, I'll pencil them in to win the whole thing. Right. If anything, it was actually I I, w- I came away from game one more impressed by the Nets. Yeah. You know, Harden goes out. With, you know, he doesn't play at all. Harden was a non-factor in Game One, and they were still able to win, kind of comfortably. Mm-hmm. You know, it's a it's a single-digit uh, score a deficit, one fifteen one oh seven. But it didn't really feel like the Bucks were ever in it, and and Katie and Kyrie stepped up their games like they kind of have to. But also, shout out to Blake Griffin, eighteen points, double double for him. We did not expect that to, to to happen at all for the Nets. That anything that he gave was sort of an added bonus. S- Sebastian. Who do you who do you like in this series now that you know Harden is kind of a, a, a mystery? That's the thing. Um, it, I'm I'm in the same boat as you, Luke. Where um, if Brooklyn loses their maestro, because that's what he is. He, it, it, there are um, you know dudes who command the presence uh, a presence on the court and just orchestrate everything. And James Harden, you know, a guy who we originally believe or who played kind of the ball hog in Houston has proven himself to be an amazing ball handler. Far and away the best one in the league this this uh, this year. If you lose him for an extended period of time, I I, I don't think that Milwaukee is the true test um, for for a team led exclusively by uh, Durant and Irving. But um, it could go much longer than it than it could have. I, it's not I. I feel like I'm being a bit disrespectful to a Milwaukee team that is much, much better than they were last year. Um, and this is before this is before um, Giannis Antetokounmpo getting injured um, in that Miami series. Yeah. Uh, this, this, that that team was, for me, not at all there. I know the expectation for uh, an MVP is to at least compete for a championship, but I don't think he was ever really in it, honestly, last year. Um, this year is different. This year, um, I know this was a depleted Miami roster because it was a Miami roster that was expected to be filled by Giannis Antetokounmpo. Uh, but at the same time, like uh, the 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 flow of the Milwaukee Bucks is, is very very good. It's very very good. Um, if another one of the big three um, is injured or is just out for a game, you oh, know, then did I think not Milwaukee, return. Then yeah. it's, I think it's game over. For Mil- yeah, for Brooklyn. For, for Brooklyn. Um, but it, it, it's too early to tell. Either way, um, I'm, I'm seeing, imp- well, like I said, Milwaukee is substantially more improved, and Brooklyn has been overpowering, all-consuming um, all year. So I, I just I just don't know. Harden is the X factor if Harden can come back, if Harden is somewhat productive, even if he has to play through an injury. Fortunately, it was just a, an aggravation, right? It wasn't an outright sprain that, or mm-hmm. a, do you sprain hamstrings? No, you don't. I, this you is why I strain it. Yeah, strain. Yeah, this is why I didn't take uh, that many biology classes <laughs> here at Florida State. I was I was geology all the way, baby. Um, I don't I don't know. It, yeah. Harden is very much the X factor. It's like you said. Right. It, re- really quickly, as we, we we reach towards the end of Tomahawk talk here, what I think could be the best series out of the the four that we have left: Nuggets Suns game one tonight. Brett, do you have a feel about which way this series could go as we, as we tip off? Um. Uh, oof. Seeing the way the Suns finished off the Lakers, I really like them in this series. Um, I've always kind of not been a 
Denver or a Denver denier, but maybe I haven't believed I've believed in them as much as everyone else has. Like I loved it. I loved, I thought Utah was going to smash them last year in the playoffs. Um, but I don't know. It's like Jamal Murray would have really helped in this series, as he would have in the last for Denver. Uh, so I, I think Phoenix has got the edge there, but it's not to say that it won't be close. I, I think Phoenix clearly has an edge. I think they're a better built team, despite Jokic being the best player in this series. Uh, yeah. Especially as Chris Paul kind of rounds into form after being injured in Game One against the Lakers. If if he's anywhere close to one hundred percent, I think that's a clear advantage for the Phoenix Suns. It'll be interesting to see how Jokic plays against a Phoenix team that likes to clog the lane, uh, play really slow basketball. What? Just kind of watch that tonight. What do they do with Jokic? How does Aiton handle him when he's in the low block? Uh, I, I I don't know because Jokic is such a versatile player. Um, he can dish out some crazy passes. So if Denver can distribute and get the ball out to, to some of their shooters, it's going to be interesting. But the way Phoenix just suffocates you on defense and then slows the game down on offense, uh, if I, I just think they're a really well-rounded basketball team right now. I also love the Crowder on Michael Porter Jr. matchup there for Phoenix. I, I think yeah. I think Crowder, you know, despite his struggles against LeBron sometimes in the last series, I think he's definitely a guy that you can throw it at someone who's integral now to the Denver Nuggets and Michael Porter Jr., I, I think Sebastian Phoenix is the team to beat. What about you? I don't know. I, I personally believe that uh, Denver is the team to beat in this series. Denver has been there. That might be. That is a. And that is a base hit up the left field. Ooh, that's play cool. the oh, place. Yeah. She is safe. That, that's two, I believe. That is going to be another two runs for Florida State. If I'm. Yep. Yeah, and it is now. For Montana Fouts. I know the bullpen was up. And going, I don't. Know the route is yet, on but. so far. Knock on wood for Florida State over Alabama. It's the top of the third, and it is already six nothing Seminoles as they continue to hit around Montana Fouts. I was that Morgan that ran in. Uh, that was number. You had, you had Flaherty, and I believe that's Muffley. Morgan, nope, Danny Morgan. Yes, what Danny Morgan that scores to cap off a huge play. Base running. Look bang bang. I think we might get a challenge. Terrible here. radio, but she, so she was sliding <laughs> Sorry, in. Sorry, guys. Well, you can't. There is no replay in the Women's College World Series. Um, she was sliding in, and there was just a close tag, and it's really hard to tell. But I think I think that was the right call. Um, but nonetheless, six nothing, Florida State. Even if you could hypothetically challenge that, I think that's yeah, yeah, that's close enough. So mm, that even if it was out. like <laughs> it could go either way, that would have stood. Um, that's some awesome pace running. And That's really well done. Some some excellent radio here at the end of our show. Montana Fouts is being pulled from the game. They are taking out Montana Fouts, who was the best pitcher in this call, women's college world series. She threw a, a perfect game earlier in this tournament. She is now leaving the game through after two and two thirds innings, seventy two pitches, and six runs given up. Is it and, a hot take if I if I think she should have been pulled an inning earlier? Well, the thing is, it's, it's softball like, though. If you're like if if. I know they've got a. Um, I don't know who they're putting into the game. I'm assuming it's the pitcher who pitched yesterday against Florida State. Um, I'm blanking on her name, but it's like if if she is if she's not going to pitch in this situation, it's like you take Montana Fouts at her worst more than you take the next pitcher on her best. It's a tough call, but I, I think now it's the right time to make it. All right. Well, pretty good way to end the show, guys. Both on on our end and FSU's end, yeah. there as they lead six nothing in the top of the third. That will continue on ESPN. For all those wanting to tune in and, and see if Florida State could advance to the Women's College World Series final in softball. But from myself, from Brett over here, from Sebastian and Scott in the booth, this has been Tomahawk Talk, and you are listening to WVFS Tallahassee, the voice of Florida State.